Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. It's never just uh, really easy for me to just come up here. Uh, no matter how many times I do it, I still get nervous. I still hope that what I'm doing is what God wants me to do. But uh, what I don't want to do is every time I come up here, I do not want to fail to give honor to the ministry that goes before me. Uh, Bishop, uh, like he said, when I started coming, he was uh, the pastor here. And so that was a lot of the teaching that I got. That's where I learned about what I learned about what I needed to do. So when I came here, I didn't grow up in this stuff. I didn't know anything about being apostolic, Pentecostal. Uh, you know, you, if you don't grow up in this, you kind of hear horror stories. You know, oh, well, they're just that tongue talking, you know. Dude, are they the church that deals with snakes? Or, you, know? <laughs> you hear this stuff. I mean, this is stuff people say. And so you just don't know what to think. But, you know, if you, come, if you actually give them a chance, you give us a chance, we're normal people just like everybody else with a gift that not everybody else is experiencing. But that doesn't mean it's not for them. But Bishop has been here since day one of me coming. Doesn't matter what he's going through. Doesn't matter what he's been here. He's been, there's always going to be the word. And that's the example that he's given me. And I always want to give him honor for that. Same with Brother Mason. He's not here tonight uh, just dealing with sicknesses and stuff. Uh, but he's the same. He's always been here. He's always had a word. Uh, when I started coming, there was youth on Friday nights. There was, you know, we always got to hear. And it wasn't just game nights. It wasn't just about getting together and having fun. It was about we come here, and most of the time it was just a youth service. It was what we have right now. We had singing. We had prayer. We had a word. And we went home. It wasn't about the games. The games were, you know, every once in a while. They were here and there. They weren't. That's not what it was about. It was still about the Lord. And so, I don't know that, I don't know how he did it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because as I'm, you know, transitioning into the, the youth pastor and stuff like that, so, so much more studying has to go into it. And, you know, dealing, I don't work that far away. He worked even further in Evansville, and he had to prepare for Friday night service, Sunday morning service. <laughs> he had to do a whole lot of preparation, and I know that he's just got that knack, <laughs> But uh, I got to give him honor because I'm starting to understand what he went through. Uh, you know, I have his son in class, so I kind of have to understand what he went through. <laughs> so it's, he says it's just payback, and he loves it. But, uh, and then I want to just, com- you know, give honor to Pastor. Uh, like I say, every time that I get up here, because most of the time when I get up here, he's not here. I don't know if he plans it that way on purpose, but, but no, I know he listens. And, and just the trust that goes into that, to the fact that you can leave and, and just have so much faith in somebody that they're not going to get up there and say the wrong thing and go against what you believe and, and confuse the congregation. And that's definitely what I do not want to do today. And i got to give honor to my wife and my son uh, because they're just my rock. They're there for me. They're, they're, they're what I'm going to go home to every day. They're the ones I'm going to be with every day, day in and day out. And they love me uh, no matter what. 
and I just got to give them honor for that. But uh, while I got you standing, we'll go ahead and uh, read some scripture and I get started off right. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, and while you're turning there, want to remember that there's going to be um, a graduation celebration in the back uh, for, well, our only graduate this time around, Brother Alex. Uh, we want to celebrate that. That's something to be celebrated. Education is something that is very important in this day and age, and oftentimes it just goes uncelebrated. It's like it's no big deal, but it is a big deal when someone uh, is able to further their education, and, and we want to celebrate that. All right, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'm going to read it off the board just because I, I have that opportunity. <laughs> it said, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then it says, Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I want to stop there because this isn't what my message is about. But this is where people get confused. We know this. It says baptizing them in the name of. Not names. It's not plural. It's singular. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It's talking about one person, three different names, three different titles. Right? I am a son and I am a father. Maybe one day I'll be a grandfather. <laughs> They, but I'm still going to be James. I'm still going to be Brother Malone. I'm still going to be me. Even though I may be called a different name at times, I'm still going to be me. And that is God. Don't get confused when you read this. Don't get confused when you get messed up. Because he's still just one. Let's go ahead and go to 28 and 20. And it says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And we're going to go ahead and read Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that uh, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So what I'm going to be talking about really deals with more Matthew 28. But my title tonight I want to talk about is just Go go. Pretty simple, pretty small, but I hope it's pretty powerful. So will you pray with me tonight? God, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. So we read that in Matthew 28. Uh, if you're reading uh, the Bible, it, it, it basically calls it the Great Commission. It says, it's, and it's just telling them to go preaching and teaching unto everybody. This is, this is Jesus after he's come back, after he's been resurrected and stuff, and he's talking to his disciples, you know, he's saying, all right, I've told you all of this. Now what I have told you, you go and tell everybody else. Because I'm done here, you know, so you go and do what I've taught you. But it, I don't think it was just for the apostles, though. 
Because if it's just for the apostles, why would it be pinned down in the word for us to read today? Not to just tell us that this is what he told them, you know. But I think it was for all of his disciples. So not just apostles, but disciples. So, but it, wait, wait, wait. If you're thinking that this isn't you, if you're thinking that, okay, well, he's wanted for all of his disciples. Well, I'm not his disciples. We actually first need to know what or who is a disciple. For those of you who don't know, right? So when I don't know what a word is or if I want to know the true definition of a word, I do what I always do. I go to dictionary.com. You know, they've got an app for your phone. makes it a whole lot easier. That's what I do. <laughs> and it, it defines disciple as any follower of Christ. That's pretty easy, right? It's pretty easy to understand. It's not a really bad definition. It's just any follower of Christ. So if you're here tonight and you love the Lord, you're a disciple. Sounds so official. You guys all have a title now. You guys are all disciples. All disciples of Christ. So since we're all disciples, that means we all have work to do. So it's not just what the apostles had to do. It's what the disciples had to do. As followers of Christ, we have, to, we have, we have work to do. So before you get all worried about, okay, well, what's this work that I have to do? So we don't all have to be missionaries, foreign or domestic. So that doesn't mean you have to go overseas or go to different states like an evangelist. You don't have to be a missionary. There's other things that you can do, right? So to be able to reach lost souls. There are many people that we see and talk to uh, all the time, each and every day, that need to hear, you know, the plan of salvation, right? So how many of you have went to a restaurant this week? Raise your hand. Has it, has it always been drive through or did you go inside? It's all probably various things, right? But we've all been to a restaurant. So look around. You don't have to look very much because there's not a whole lot of people. But do you see the people that you saw at that restaurant? No? You don't see those people that, that brought you your food, that took your money, that took your order, brought your drinks out to you? You don't see those people, right? Did you invite them to church? Did you tell them about God? Did you, even though you may not be, a, you know, a really outgoing person that just brings it up, did you leave on a napkin, you know, God loves you, or leave a business card saying this is our church, come, come visit us at church? Well, in that respect, were you a good example? <laughs> were you somebody that they'd want to come to church with? Right? So there's people that we come into contact with each and every day that needs to hear the word of God, that doesn't have the Holy Ghost like we do, that we should be inviting. That would make us a disciple, right? So we have to get excited about soul winning and seeing people baptized in Jesus' name. We have to get excited. Why? why? Well, you think, might be thinking, well, why do I need to get excited? Why does it matter if I get excited about soul winning, about, about this stuff? Because I can just talk to somebody. I don't have to be really excited about it. The opportunity might present itself. And if it does, then I'll take advantage. But, but think about it. Have you ever been excited about anything? Anybody here ever got excited about anything? Or are you just kind of like a blah person that, you know, if it happens, it happens, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get excited. So many of you as kids may have gotten excited around Christmas time. Uh, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. We all get excited about something, right? So has anybody been excited about getting a new job? You put in an application. You're like, man, I really need a job. You know, finally get a call back, you get excited. Or what about an engagement slash marriage? 
anybody been excited that they got proposed to, that they got engaged to their future spouse or whatever? You know, usually when you're doing that, you're really excited about it. You know, you're, you're hoping that they're going to say yes if you're the man proposing or in this day and age, if you're the woman proposing. <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen. But you're hoping that they're going to say yes. And then when it finally happens, what happens? You get excited. You want to tell people. Has anybody ever been ever excited about a new car? I'm sure my wife, when she gets one, is going to be excited about a new car because she's having fits with hers right now. So when she gets a new one, she's going to be excited. And I bet you all know what she's going to do when she gets excited about her new car. Food and drink. Has anybody been ever excited about <laughs> food or drinks? You get excited. So in this day and age, when we get excited about something, what do we do? Celebrate, right? Or you pull out your phone. You take a picture of it, and you post it on social media because you're so excited you want to tell the world, right? Because we have that opportunity. We have this device in our hands that I don't have to go, you know, the, uh, you always see on TV the old, old time, you know, I want to go to the mountaintop and scream it from the top of the world so that the whole world heals me. Well, you don't even need that anymore. You don't even need a mountaintop because you have a cell phone. You have a portable device that lets you share your excitement right away. So when we get excited about these things, we want to tell everybody. And if you're not, you know, if it's an engagement or something like that, friends, family you come into contact with, you're showing off your ring. Oh, my God, he finally proposed. It's been 10 years. <laughs> but, but you get so excited, you're ready to show it off. You're ready to tell people about it. So we want to tell friends, we want to tell family. Even, you might even tell coworkers. You're posting on social media that, you, you, you know, they might be on your friends list, but they might not necessarily be your friend either. Some people, they just want to have as many followers as they can have and all that stuff. So maybe even people you don't even come into contact with, except for through social media. But you're going to blast them with it. You're going to let them know whatever it is that you're excited about, whether they care or not. <laughs> because you don't care if they care, because you're excited. Right? And so we know that not everyone wants to hear what, what we're posting on social media, but we're so excited, we're going to share it anyway. So we see this with like new converts, right? They come into church, they get so excited about experiencing the Holy Ghost, experiencing the presence of God, uh, you know, the power that they, they're feeling that they've never felt anywhere. They might have been to several churches before, but there's just something different when they came into, that, came into here, when they came into the presence of God and they were hearing about something different. So what do they do? So they tell whoever they can. They go to their family, you know, that night, and they're telling them about what they experienced, and, and they want to invite them. They want to invite them. They want to invite their friends and their family to church so they get to experience what they just went through because they're so excited. But, uh, but, what ha but this happened in the Bible as well. People getting excited. So <laughs> when Jesus was performing all kinds of miracles, all kinds of miracles, so can you imagine these people that he's performing miracles on? I'm sure they're going to be excited, right? I mean, it, when we read in Matthew 9, 27 through 31, I just have it as a reference, though. We actually read about two blind men that, you know, they heard Jesus was coming. <laughs> they didn't see him. <laughs> they heard Jesus was coming, and they knew it was him. And so they started following him and say, hey, master, heal us. Jesus, we know that it's you, and we know you can perform miracles. Would you heal us? And uh, so Jesus said, you know, well, why do you think I can do this? Well, you know, we believe. 
And so, you know, Jesus ends up restoring their sight. Let them have sight. And, but what does he say? If you read this, it's actually kind of like crazy to me. And, and he says, uh, make sure that nobody knows. Do not tell no man. Make sure that, it says, quote, see that no man know it. So don't go tell anyone what I just did. Could you imagine being blind? Your vision comes back. <laughs> Some people are going to know that, you know, you were blind before because you're walking around stumbling. And then you get your sight, and so they don't see you running into things like you used to. So they're going to ask. But you're excited, so you're not supposed to tell them. But these two blind men, they don't listen. <laughs> they, uh, they go and... Basically, right as soon as they left Jesus, they start telling everybody so that Jesus' fame spread abroad. He's like, don't tell anyone. This. All right, we got you. They're going to go tell everyone. And so Jesus is walking around, and, and everyone's going to start knowing what he's, what he's doing. But there's also times, you know, so God tells us to listen. We don't listen. But they also have times when God wants us to tell people. He said, don't tell them. You know, they'll all figure it out. But now, uh, if we read about Jonah, he's telling, uh, you know, he tells him, he gives Jonah specific instructions on what to do. He's actually telling him something to do. He doesn't want him to be quiet about it. He doesn't want him to be all hush-hush. He's, <laughs> he's giving him specific instructions. So you all, everybody knows the story of Jonah, right? I'm sure anybody that's ever been to any Sunday school class knows about Jonah, right? And, uh, so some, even though we all know and we remember about Jonah, we may not remember every detail, but one of the biggest things we probably, everybody in here can tell me was that he was swallowed by a big fish or whale, whatever you want to call it. Some people call it big fish, but if you actually, and this is, I had a revelation one day when I was reading, uh, we always read about it's just a big fish and then people call it a whale and they're like, well, it doesn't quite say that. Actually, if you read in Matthew, he does call it a whale. So if you ever, if you ever say a whale and someone tries to correct you, you say, Read Matthew. Read the whole Bible. <laughs> but, but it actually, he actually calls it a whale. And so that's just a revelation that I had. And sometimes when I'm reading, some of those things stick out to me. Sorry, I just sharing that. But anyway, so he gets uh, swallowed up by the whale. Everybody probably knows that part. They may not remember the reason he got swallowed up by the whale, but everybody knows, you know, Jonah's the guy that got eaten by a fish and was in there three days, right? Why, why, did, why did he get swallowed up by a fish? Why? Why did this happen? Was he just swimming out in the ocean and he's like, big old fish came up and ate him? No, it was because Jesus gave him specific instructions to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them, you know, to stop. He basically told them to go start preaching to them and tell them that they're doing wicked. Turn from your wicked ways because God wants to save you. He doesn't want to see the city perish. He doesn't want to see all the people perish in the city. So go tell them. Jonah, thinking he knows more than everybody else, says, well, I'm not going there. They don't deserve to be saved. They know they're doing wicked, and it's not for, why, why do I have to go tell them they're doing wicked? They already know that. So Jonah, he decides, well, you know, okay, here's Nineveh, I'm going to Tarshish. He's like, all right, I'm hopping a boat going the other direction, I'm getting as far away from that place as I can. So, you know, and then if you read the whole story, then, you know, events end up happening, he gets uh, swallowed up by the whale and end up getting spit out and all that stuff. But he finally does what God tells him to do, but he just took a whole lot of pushing. But... You know, just like Jonah, we may try and pick who, who we think should come. We may, we may try and pick and choose who we think should be sitting in each and every one of these pews. That's what he was doing, essentially, right? Jonah was picking and choosing, really, who should be saved. 
right? So that's what we were doing. We're, we're picking and choosing who we think should be saved. <laughs> Almost like we're Jesus. I mean, we may, not, we may not think of it like that harshly, like what you're actually doing when you don't invite somebody is you're really saying, well, I don't think you should be saved. We don't think about it that harshly, but essentially that's really what happens. Because what we're doing is we're picking and choosing who we should tell about Jesus. We're picking and choosing who we think would really want to hear it. Even though we don't know their backstories, even though we don't know what they've got going on in their life, we're picking, eh, they just don't look like they should be in there. They don't look like they would want to hear about Christ. So how many of us may have been in that situation at some point in our life? Sure, I've been there. I was there. I'm sure somebody probably looked upon me and said, well, he's doing whatever he wants to do. He probably doesn't really want to hear about God. He's probably not a Christian. You know what I mean? But, uh, so that's what we're doing. So we've, we've been given a gift that is for everyone, not just who we want to know about it. It's for everyone. If you have Acts 2.39, so we all know Acts 2.38, but if you Acts 2.39, probably one of my favorite scriptures, it says, For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Not as many as James shall call. Not as many as, uh, you know, anybody should call. It's not, it's not for anybody else to call. It's as many as the Lord should call. It's written in black and white. So those of you that have been filled with the Holy Ghost know that it is the most amazing experience you will ever have. So anybody that has ever experienced drugs, alcohol, gambling addictions, anything like that, and you know that the high that you get from that, I've not ever had someone that has been sitting on these pews ever tell me that that was better than the Holy Ghost. I've never heard it. Never. But it looks like we want to keep that to ourselves, though. Right? This gift of the Holy Ghost, this experience that we had, uh, it looks like we just want to keep that to ourselves. Why? Because we don't want to tell everyone about it. Because we don't go out and we don't, once we're inside these walls, it's okay to talk to, talk to people inside these walls about it. But once you get outside these walls, then we seem to like clam up. You may be one of the most chattiest people in here about Jesus and salvation, but as soon as you get outside the walls, for some reason your lips lock up. You don't put a padlock on them because you don't want to tell about it. Why? Why, why don't we want to do that? I think one of the biggest things, and this is, and this is me, like, when, as I'm going through this stuff, as I was studying for this, as I was pinning this stuff down, God was talking to me about it because this is one of my biggest things. I think fear is one of the biggest reasons why we don't tell everyone about it. Fear. Well, Zach talked about it tonight already. Fear, you know, there's men that's going to faint because of fear. Their hearts are going to fail them because of fear. Fear is a big thing. We know that it's not of God. But fear is one of the biggest things that, that keeps us from doing anything. So what, what's the fear? Well, we worry what people might, I say might, judge us for. Or that people may make fun of us. I say this might and may because this is what our mind is thinking. This is what our mind is drumming up. This is our, the scenarios that our mind is playing out, even though that's not necessarily what's going to happen. You know, not everyone is like a, a harsh bully that's just going to make fun of you because you're a Christian. You don't have to be so scared to tell somebody. Who cares if they do make fun of you? I mean, that's not what it's about. But what it's about is you telling them. 
so there are people that truly don't care what people think, right? There's people, and they will tell you, and you can kind of tell by the way they look, act, or dress, you know, whatever, that they just really don't care what people think. They're going to do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want, and they don't care what anybody thinks. I'm not one of those, but there's, and I think there's very few people out there like that. If they're not the mass majority, <laughs> vast majority, they're, they're not, that's not the, the majority of the people. The majority of the people are humans. And for the most part, we want to be accepted. Now, that's not saying we want to be accepted by each and every person in the world. Although there is people out there like that. But we do want to be accepted by even just a select few people. So what are we going to do? So that's what fear is. That's where the fear comes in. It's that we want to be accepted by, you know, some people. We don't necessarily need to be accepted by everybody. But we still want to be accepted because we're not loners. We're not uh, solid, solidarity people. We don't want to be all by ourselves and be in solitude. But we cannot fear. We cannot let fear hinder what God has called us to do. So I think what we need to do is have a spirit like the Apostle Paul. So I remember listening to the pastor when he's going through the, uh, the Acts Bible study and just doing all the different books of Acts. Uh, you read about Paul a lot because this is kind of, a lot of it's about Paul's journey and the things that he's going through and experiencing. Paul experienced so much persecution for preaching the gospel. Now, granted, he probably deserved a bunch of it because he had his share of persecution. You know, he was, he's also the one that was killing Christians and stuff because of what they believed because, you know, he believed differently, so he was actually persecuting them. But when he got a revelation, he changed what he was doing. And so he started preaching the right message. So he started receiving persecution back by himself. Well, I mean, it didn't matter where he was going. There's people that didn't believe. There's Pharisees trying to put him in jail. They're wanting to kill him. They're wanting, even though he has done nothing to be, like, killed for, be murdered for, be hung, executed, they want this done to him because of what he's saying and what he's doing. So did he stop? He said, oh, you know what? Somebody wants to kill me for this? I'm just going to stop here and we'll just continue to live my life because, you know, I've got a few years ahead of me. I don't want to die at a young age. No, he didn't. He didn't. He just continued to preach the gospel. And he, he went from city to city to city and got on boats and went through three shipwrecks and he experienced stuff that I don't even, I hope I don't experience half the stuff that he even went through. But he continued to do it that no matter what, no matter how many people were searching after him, no matter how many people were after his life, he was going to continue preaching the gospel. Even though eventually he would end up being killed for it. He continued to spread the gospel. He was not not going to let it hinder him. We all know that Paul and Silas are in the jail, right? He was thrown in jail. Why? Because he was preaching this word. So what did he do? If you've been thrown in jail for something you've just been doing, what are you going to do while you're in jail? You're probably just going to sit there, wait on a meal to come, wait on somebody to come bail you out or whatever. No, Paul and Silas, they just started having a celebration while they were in jail. They're like, all right, well, this is, we're just going to be stuck here. We might as well go ahead and praise the Lord and you know, continue to do what we were doing. So what happens? The jail doors all open up. <laughs> and, of course, the uh, guard continues to freak, starts to freak out. But, but every, all the prisoners stayed in their jail. But it was just something, it was just another miracle that God had done because Paul was just going to, he wasn't going to let his situation stop what he was supposed to do, what he was doing. He wasn't going to let his situation stop him from being a disciple for Christ, from continuing to tell God. So instead of looking for the worst possible outcome, 
<clears throat> when telling someone about Jesus, I wonder if we could change our way of thinking. Because that's what we do, right? When we think, okay, well, I'm going to tell this person about God. Uh, okay, no, I don't think they'll accept it. I think they're going to be mad. I don't think they're, I think they're going to kind of shrug me off. So, but we think about the worst possible outcome. Because that's what we do as humans. We just drum up the worst things that can go on in our mind, and that's the thing that's actually going to happen, right? No. We, I think we need to change our way of thinking and think about the best possible outcome. So what could happen? What's some of the best possible outcomes that could happen about telling somebody about the gospel? About, about telling them about God and about our, our experience? What's the best thing that could happen? They repent. Baptize in Jesus' name. Right? Be filled with the Holy Those are the best possible outcomes, but how many times have you ever had a conversation with someone and thought that that's actually what's going to happen? That's probably not what uh, Sister Malone thought when she talked to me. First thing she's probably not thinking is, oh, yeah, he's going to come to an altar of repentance. You know, he's, he's going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm sure she may have eventually been hoping for all of that. But, um, but that was probably not her first thoughts, seeing the, some of the things that I, I was doing at the time and all that. That's probably not what was going through her mind. Because we think of the worst possible outcomes. So if we could develop this way of thinking... I'd actually be able to see the revival in Mount Carmel and in the church that God has promised. See a revival like never before, if we can change our way of thinking. Now, if we continue to think that the worst possible thing is going to happen and we're not going to tell anyone about Jesus because the bad thing's going to happen, you're not going to see revival. We can't expect for God to do all the work for us to see revival. So we can't expect for him to go out there, prepare their hearts, prepare their minds, for what we need to tell them, and then we not go and tell them. Although they may be prepared, if we don't go and tell them, then they, they haven't heard anything. So he's told us we've had, you know, so many prophecies in here telling us that the field is ready. It is white, ready, ready for harvest. But our laborers are few. Not necessarily that we don't have enough people that are capable of doing it, but we don't have enough people doing it. We want to we leave it off on the very few people. We want to leave it off on a select few people because maybe, maybe you've got down in your mind, you've got that way of thinking that, well, that isn't me. I'm not capable. I have a past that they're just going to drudge up or they're not going to believe me because of the things that I have done. And that's our way of thinking. That's, that's just how we happen. That how, that's how it happens. Or maybe, maybe you uh, kind of, the devil kind of plays tricks with your mind like he does with me. And uh, being in a small town in Mount Carmel, I'm sure I'm probably not the only one that's ever thought this. I don't want to tell anybody about him because I already, I know them. I went to school with them. They don't need to hear that. They don't want to hear that. I see the way they're doing it. Don't, I don't want them to think differently of me because I went to school with them. I know them. You know, this is a small town. You don't want to, you want like I said, you want people to like you, so it kind of hinders what you want to do because you're like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I've got a good relationship here. I don't want to mess that up. You know, I still want to have that relationship. I don't want to mess that up. But that's our way of thinking. But we, we have to change that way of thinking. We have to be able to talk to them. Musicians can go ahead and come. So we have to understand that everyone, everyone goes through stuff. Not just us, not just me, not just you, everyone. So whether they show it or not, 
they're going through something. They've been through something. They have a past, you know, and, and they may be going through it at that very time. And what we have may be just what they're looking for. We've seen many a times that people come in here that are just bruised and broken from their past. And someone had told them something at just the right time. They said, okay, well, you know what, I'm, I, I will come to church tonight. And they've been blessed. And, you know, we've seen, it's hard to say now, it's hard to see now, but we've seen people come in and be filled with the Holy Ghost the very first service here. They may never come back. But that doesn't mean that you should stop telling people about Jesus. That doesn't mean you should stop inviting people to church. If the last 10 people you invited haven't showed, that doesn't mean you shouldn't move on to the 11th. That doesn't mean you should stop. Because if that were the case, Paul would never have gotten where he had gotten. So we hear, we hear about people who have received news that they only have months or weeks left to live, right? I think every one of us has probably experienced that. Someone who has received the news that you have cancer and you really only have a few weeks left to live or you only have a few months left to live. It's devastating news to think that, you know, okay, well, maybe I'm only 35. I have the rest of my life ahead of me. How can I only have a few months left to live? How'd this happen? But a lot of times what happens is they have a bucket list. Everybody know what a bucket list is? It's a list of things that people put in there of what they want to do before they die. And so, so what happens is when a lot of these people hear that, you know, they only have so much time left, they, they, they pull out that bucket and they start pulling things out. This is what I wanted to do before I die. It's getting real close. What can I do? What do I need to do? And so what do they do? They start living. When they find out they're going to die, they start living. They've had all their life before them. And they just kept going through the motions. Probably like a lot of us are doing today. Just go through our motions. We have jobs. We have bills. We've got to do it. So we don't plan for vacations because we've got other bills going on. We don't plan for, you know, things like that. So we get caught up. But when they find this news out, they start living. So what do they do? They start mending relationships. Hard times that they've had in the past where they come into people. They start mending say, hey, you know what? Life's too short. Start mending relationships. They might start going on crazy adventures that were in their bucket list. Or doing things that they've always put off for later. So, this altar's open. So what are some things that you would do? If you found out tomorrow that you only had a few months left to live. Right. And nobody wants to think about that. But essentially, we don't know when God's coming. That's right. <laughs> we really don't know. He could really show up tomorrow. We may not have months. There's things going on in this world that we just don't understand. And there's people before us that never would have imagined seeing the things that we're seeing today. The day's coming. We don't know. So what would you do if you only had a few months left to live, though? Would you go skydiving? Is that something in your bucket list? Would you 
go on vacation to the beach that you've never seen, that you've always wanted to see because you've never been able to go, but you finally go on that vacation? Would you mend relationships, family members, friends, fights you've had in the past that are just seem so meaningless now that in a few short months you won't even be around to deal with it? Would you invite somebody to church? It's kind of a big deal, right? If you really don't, if, it, if in a few months or a few weeks you're not going to be here, are you really going to care what they think? Are you going to say, you know what, you need to come to church? Are you going to be a little bit more bold? Are you going to tell as many people as you can about the plan of salvation? What are you going to do? Are you going to just continue to hold it all in? Are you going to repent? Because we, Paul said, uh, we die daily. Why, why do we have to die daily? Why does he need to die daily? Because we sin daily. Because we mess up daily. Because we're human and we make mistakes. But we have to get up and we have to continue on. We have to repent. We have to seek. Because if we could go out and, you know, we've been living good now. We've received the Holy Ghost. We know the plan of salvation and we've done all that. But if we mess up tonight, we don't repent, it could all be in vain. I think our relationships, when we come to find out that uh, we really only have a few short months to live or, you know, we really don't know our definite timetable, I think we start living just a little bit differently, a little more boldly. We start seeking a little more things of the kingdom than the things of the world. Because we stop focusing on the people and what their thoughts are. And we start focusing on him. Why? Because hell becomes a little bit more real. (laughs) When you think about this heat that we're dealing with right now, that's nothing. That's nothing at all. Hell becomes just a little bit more real. Hell is a real place. It's, and it's, it's a scary place. And it's not meant for us. It's not meant for us. But God has given us the choice. Whether you think it or not, people are choosing to go there. I'm not going to verbalize it, but that's where they're choosing to go. So you go ahead and stand with me. So what are you going to do with this time that you have left? It may be a few short months. It may be a few short weeks. But you also may have 30 years left. You also may have 35 years left. But if that's the case, are you going to wait until, if you have 35 years, are you going to wait until you have one year left and then start living and then start telling people about it? Are you going to start now? Are you going to start telling people about God now? Because everyone now needs to hear it today because it's not just our lives that are hanging in balance. That person that you tell tomorrow or tonight even about God and about salvation and stuff could could die tomorrow or the next day. So even though you have 35 years left, even though you have a few months left, they may have less time. And to think that you uh, bypass that opportunity might be something that weighs on you. We need to get a little bit more of a burden to see souls saved. So this altar's open. As they sing a song, just think about it. Just think about that one person that you come into contact with. That all you have to do is say, Jesus loves you. Right. Will you go to church with me? You know, that's all you have to do. It's nothing. You don't have to have a full, depth, full in-depth Bible study with somebody. That's right. You just have to have a little conversation. Yes. 
We all know a little bit about God. We may not be Bible scholars that know the ins and outs of the Bible, but we know enough to know that what Acts 2.38 says, what Acts 2.39 says, and if not, we all have one we can look it up. That's right. Amen. But we need to get serious, and we need to go. Amen. We need to go. We can't just keep it to us. We can't just stay here. We can't just live our lives and not worry about what's going to happen after this. we got to worry about our brothers and sisters. Yes. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.